Welcome to The Worst Thing We Read This Week, where we talk about the books that we hate to love and Why love are you being so awkward right hate. now? <laughs> I'm Caitlin. <laughs> and this Hello, is, Kitty! This is, <laughs> this is Caitlin's cat, Savannah. <laughs> also known as Adventurous Skywalker. Oh, thanks, Squadcast. Fuck you. <laughs> and welcome back to our podcast. <laughs> this is not going well. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Disclaimer, so no one sues us. We don't hate books and we don't hate authors. In fact, we buy a hard copy of the books every week to support them. If you can do the same, we encourage you to. We just like talking about problematic tropes, characters, and some really weird dystopian world building. So, uh, welcome. Since these episodes are not spoiler free, we wanted to give you guys an updated book list. Um, on the 18th of March, it's Star- Stalking Jack the Ripper by Carrie Maniscalco. And then on the 1st of April, we have Burned by PC and Kristen Cast. Okay, so, like, here's the thing, listeners. We haven't recorded in, since, like, December, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we're recording this on February 14th. Um, we don't remember how to do this, what we're doing. Um, don't tell them Number that. one, we... We took some time off, and then we tried to start recording like three weeks ago, and now we have all of these issues with Squadcast. And um, here's a critique of Squadcast. Their uh, their little help email thing, their customer service, fucking sucks. That's it. That's my review of Squadcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a great, it's been a great platform for like almost a year, and it's just started acting up all of a sudden. So if anyone has any recommendations, my housekeeping that I wrote, keep in mind when we read the book, we write notes so we can remember what we're coming back to. Uh, And we're all going to discover the notes for the first time today because my memory's shot and I have no (laughs) idea what I wrote. Like two months ago when I read this book. reference. (laughs) for reference listeners i started and finished this book on christmas day Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. again it's february 14th i don't i have no idea what happened it's gonna be a fun discovery for everyone (laughs) what i wrote for housekeeping is just me speaking into the void on twitter which i think was supposed to be a comment on how most of you interact with us on Instagram, which I hate, instead of Twitter, which I enjoy because making polls makes me feel like a god. And so most of our Twitter posts are just me talking to myself. <laughs> like, I'll post something <laughs> from our podcast account or I'll, like, make a poll or, like, make a comment and then I'll switch over to my account and I'll, like, go answer the poll and then respond to myself. And that's a little bit sad. So maybe if we could all start, like, shifting platforms... <laughs> Or if you just want to see me like yeah, have conversations I mean, with myself, go check out Twitter. It's great. Uh, cool, cool, cool. What are you drinking? Yeet. Coffee. Cup two. What are you drinking? Um, also coffee. Cup three. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Who is she? Wow. wow. She has had uh, four hours of sleep. So. <laughs> Same. I'm doing a peace sign. You can't see it. This is going to be a good one. All right. Everyone crossed by Ali Condi. In a perfect world, Cassia wouldn't have fallen for the wrong guy. But this isn't a perfect world. And then on the inside cover, we have (laughs) Cassia flees to the outer provinces in search of Kai, only to discover he has escaped into the canyons. Spoiler alert. But even as she risks everything to reunite with Kai, a few surprises from her former life may haunt her or change the game once again. 
On the edge of society, nothing is as expected. The path to freedom is more twisted than ever. Is love enough to survive? Previously, like, like two months ago, I would say when I read this book, I had a lot of, like, thoughts and feelings. And now, I'm excited to rediscover those thoughts and feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to be reacquainted with my thoughts and feelings. I have some predictions. Uh, remember, we've talked previously about Cassia's, like, weird sorting thing. She's like, I can sort things really well, but it just means she can, like, look at things and put them in categories. I think of, like, BBC Sherlock, where where Sherlock's just, like, looking at things and things are, like, lighting up and he's, like, making these ridiculous connections (laughs) that make no sense to anyone ever. That's what I think of when I think of Cassia. I see too many things, says Cassia. I always have. Words and pictures connect together in my mind in strange ways, and I notice details wherever I am, like now. Now listen, I know I'm wrong here, just like let me go, because my next note is going to make sense. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, is Cassie a robot? Like, my prediction is that she's actually half robot, and that's why she's able to pick out these weird patterns and see things and store them in her little memory file, and then my... My next note is, literally didn't realize the first chapter was a Cassia <laughs> because it's actually Kai. The whole chapter is Kai, and I thought it was Cassia until, and it says under chapter one in very tiny letters, Kai. I don't know how I was supposed to notice that. So I was really confused when we got to the next chapter. I felt like in this book, having the two perspectives actually served a purpose unlike um house of night breaking dawn uh (laughs) the entire shatter me series like i could keep going on like i felt like the two perspectives actually added something to the story it made for some good foreshadowing you're right i enjoyed that i just i couldn't tell them apart and if i can't tell the character voices apart right then they're all the same maybe they're all the same person maybe they're all a robot, a single robot that thinks it's individual entities. I read this and I was like, what the fuck are we reading? <laughs> like, what is even going on? That Cassia's first chapter starts out as, the dirt is part of me. The hot water in the corner wash basin runs over my hands, turning them red, making me think of Kai. My hands look a little like his now. Of course, almost everything makes me think of Sky or of Kai. Um, I, gra- I scrub my fingers one last time. In some ways, I like the dirt. It works into every crease of my skin, makes a map on the back of my hands. Once, when I felt very tired, I looked down at the cartography of my skin and imagined it could tell me how to get to Kai. Kai is gone. <laughs> Tahara? Stephanie, is that you? <laughs> and I then just... I s- the carpet was my skin and I sewed it on. <laughs> Yeah, so just to just to set the scene, Cassia is working in a uh, outer province work camp, uh, supposedly before she is going to be given her uh, final assignment and be able to go back and live with Xander, I guess? I don't really know. It's never really explained. This is what confused me, because in the last book, it ends with her whole family is moving to the outer provinces for her mother's job. In this book, Cassia has left her family... And she's talking about how, like, her parents are worried about her, but they're supportive of her wanting to find Kai and all of this shit. And I was like, wait a minute, don't her parents not know about Kai at all? Right. 
I mean, I guess she could just hold them in the interim between the two, but also that feels like an important thing to share. I don't know. And Kai is also in an outer province's work camp, so you get the impression that she's, like, trying to work her way through these different camps to get to him. Although, I will say, we finally get some specific rules. Thank God. No one talks about the rules of reclassification. And I'm zoomed in, right? I'm like, yes, tell me the rules of reclassification, please. Back in Oria, and I used to worry that I could cause the reclassification of my family. Like, I maybe an important thing to tell your citizens, I don't know. They're like, I might do this thing on accident. I accidentally banish my whole family from society. Anyway, she says, but now I've figured out the rules from Kai's story and from listening to the other girls speak in unguarded moments. The rules are this. If a parent becomes reclassified, the whole family does too. But if a child becomes reclassified, the family does not. The child alone bears the weight of the infraction. And then we jump back to Kai's perspective. And if you'll recall from the last book, he was taken away by the society and sent to the outer provinces. So when we first get his perspective, he's kind of like explaining to us why they need aberrations in in this work camp. And he basically says, what the society needs, what we are for them, are bodies. Decoy villagers. They move us, put us wherever they need more people to draw fire from the enemy. They want the enemy to think the outer provinces are still inhabited and viable, although the only people I've seen here are the ones like us, dropped down from the sky with just enough to keep us alive until the enemy kills us. They literally just round up people to be murdered in firestorms but at the same time who the fuck is the enemy like i want more context around that what why are there just (laughs) has the enemy after all of these years really not been smart enough to recognize that there's a whole society beyond the lines of the outer provinces right i just wrote like i think they know (laughs) (laughs) i ain't gotta tell them i think they know I think that they're like flying over these blackened, bombed out villages that they've dropped bombs on probably like multiple times over the years. And there's like people down there with a shovel and they're like, oh my God, they managed to rebuild. We got a bomb here again. This might be the capital. It doesn't make sense. They have aircraft. They have aircraft. Why don't they just like fly over that village to actual villages? Well, and also if you know that you have an enemy and you're sending these children to die anyways why would you not give said children like guns and weapons to at least try and fight the enemy right. because then it's kind of like okay killing two birds with one stone right the enemy and or why the would children. you not <laughs> exactly like why he's like i'm out here with all these 14 year olds and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> What the fuck, Ali Condi? Which leads into my next point of when did this book get so fucking dark? So Kai and his friend Vic are like the unofficial leaders of this uh, little village that they're in. And it starts snowing and a couple of boys are like, we are so thirsty. We're going to go up on top of this little plateau and we are going to try and capture some of this snow to drink. Basically, the chapter finishes out by Kai saying, we all knew that they were going to die, but I hope that they at least died happy. Because, like, because they were going up on this plateau, they were going to be more visible to the enemy, and therefore they got gunned down. And I was like, when did we start exploring such dark themes? No, we went real fast from, I'm gonna pick the color of my dress, to, uh... 
we're either going to die of dehydration or getting gunned down because yeah, small children dying. Dead. Kai's perspective is that he wants to survive. Cassia's perspective is that she wants to find Kai. Xander goes to visit Cassia, which apparently can happen. Like, he knows where she is. He's allowed to go visit her. We find out that they are still matched, and she is destined to, once she's, like, done her time, this is kind of a punishment that they've given her for stepping out of line and going after Kai. They don't know she's still going after him, so they're like, okay, work out here for a little bit, then we'll send you back to your actual job. You can be with Xander, rejoin society. She has a general idea of where Kai is in these camps, and she wants to trade for information. So she goes to a museum with Xander. They get to have a little date, a little outing, and... She goes and she's like, I have two things that I can trade. I have these blue tablets that Xander gave me. They're supposed to keep you alive for an extended period of time. Yes. So, like, if you have to go, like, a day, like a couple days without food, this will keep you alive as long as you have access to water. Yes. Like, nutrition tablets. Yes. Yes. Yep. So, uh, Xander has smuggled her these because you're not supposed to have more than one of each pill, right? Um, But Xander has smuggled her some extra ones. So she has the tablets and then she also has Kai's compass. And she's like, which should I trade? I have no idea what I should give them for information and which would be more helpful. These life-saving tablets that could keep me alive as I journey or this compass that Kai loved. So she makes up her mind. She gives him the compass. And for a moment, you think that she's like finally having some fucking self-preservation instincts because she chose these nutrition tablets, but actually she's just developing her love triangle because on the next few pages she's like, I just realized that I still have feelings for Xander and yep. I have, I'm not able to let go of him and I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to find Kai, but I couldn't let go of these tablets. They're like a piece of Xander. And I'm like, what the f- Have some goddamn common sense for once in your life, Cassia. You are going to die. <laughs> I have no hope of your survival. You are going to die if you keep making these decisions based off of which boy you like more at the moment. Well, and I think the, like, best part of this all is she is our heroine for this series, which means that, like, she's supposed to be the one with, like, her shit together. Like, Katniss, like, I trusted that she could, like, she could take a bitch down. Like, I supported, I was following, I was like, you have survival skills, toss you out in the woods, I don't think you're immediately going to die. You toss Cassie out in the woods, she's dead. She's gone. I said that she was making a trade for the map where Kai was. I just want to say this so we don't have to, like, circle back and no one knows what we're talking about. Um, she makes the trade and it's she just gets another poem. So she's really upset about it at first. She keeps it, but literally just gets another poem. It's not a map. It's not anything. They're like, we'll do our best, but it's a short timeline. Um, and it seems like they give her this useless piece of information. Um, so she holds on to it, but at the moment, she's still not any closer to finding Kai than she was before. Continue. It's a poem about someone called the pilot. Mm-hmm. So we jump to Kai's perspective, and we're getting a little bit more information about the conditions of this camp that he's in. And he's talking about how they basically give them enough food and water that they're alive, but not enough that they're strong enough to, like, fight back. And he also mentions they won't give us scissors or razors for cutting our hair or shaving. Too easy to turn into weapons or to kill each other or ourselves. Okay. And I'm just like, what a fun little info drop. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Just a fun little thing to slip in there. The actual fun info drop for me was a few pages later when Kai, so Kai is talking to Vic and he's like, I wonder why they don't just give us blue tablets. Like then they wouldn't have to bother with our meals. We could work. It would be cheaper, but like we would have strength. And he says, Vic looks at me as if I'm crazy. You don't know? Know what? I ask. The blue tablets don't save you. They stop you. If you take one, you'll slow down and stay where you are until someone finds you where you die waiting. Two will finish you outright. And listen, I know that what they're doing here is trying to plant suspicion about Xander. And you're like, well, why did he give Cassia the pills? Did he know that they were going to slow her down and kill her? Or was he trying to help her? He was ignorant, just like Kai was. And I know that they're trying to plant that suspicion and like, work them against each other, but I thought this was a really good use of the second perspective and, like, giving the audience that knowledge that Cassie is carrying around these pills and she's like, I have these in case of emergency. Like, it was a good, it was some good foreshadowing. As we're learning more about this little township that Kai is living in and basically just trying to survive, um, he's talking about how, like, we all know that the society wants aberrations dead Like, that's why they dump us here. That's why they're trying to kill us all off. But the question is, why do they hate us so much? And the answer is, that is a great question because it moves the plot along. There is no other reason other than we need someone to hate. Vic and Kai and this younger boy named Eli, who reminds Kai of Bram, Cassia's younger brother, decide to hatch this plan to escape from this town. And they're trying to figure out, like, the best way to do this because... They need to make sure that they're going to have cover, that they're going to be able to run, and that the enemy isn't going to see them and try and gun them down. To keep the society from hunting us down and making an example of us, the best time to go is during a firing when there's chaos, like a night firing. But with a full moon so that we can see, they might think we died instead of escaped. And I was like, this, that is a lot of (laughs) factors that you are trying to count on to plan this escape. And miraculously, the stars align and they're able to do it like that night. There's just too many unknowns with that plan. Also, how do you know that you're going to survive that long to even make it happen? I hope it's a full moon the next time they try to gun us down. Also, this is just a complete side note, but we continue the theme of describing things as pulpy. That we did in the last book. So, like, the page feels pulpy and cheap. And I, this is just me officially starting a petition to stop describing things as pulpy. Like, I'm not going to go back to where we went last time, but I also dislike it. (laughs) So, earlier, Cassia, like, kind of glances at the paper that she's been able to trade for, right? She sees that it's, like, a bunch of writing. It says something about the pilot. She doesn't have time to read all of it, but she's understandably a bit upset because she's like, this isn't a map. I wanted a map. I traded one of the two things that I own. What the fuck is this? So she goes to read it to see if it's useful. And it's actually not a poem. It's a story about, it's basically the story of Sisyphus. uh, But the man is called the pilot instead of Sisyphus. So he's like pushing a boulder up a hill. And uh, as soon as he gets towards the top, the boulder rolls back down again. And a child approaches him and is like, what are you making? A river, the man said. And then the story is changed so that somehow he's been pushing the rock up the hill uh, long enough that it creates this groove and a 
river is created when it rains. A woman crosses the river and looks at the sky. The pilot is old and young and has eyes of every color and hair of every shade, lives in deserts, islands, forests, mountains, and plains. The pilot leads the rising, the rebellion against the society, and the pilot never dies. When one pilot's time has finished, another comes to lead. And so it goes on over and over like a stone rolling. And the last line on the page is, in a place past the edge of the society's map, the pilot will always live and move. I would be fucking pissed to get that story. Like, <laughs> honestly, oh, yeah. all these rebels are so fucking dramatic. Cassie is like, I just need a map. And he's like, okay, I've brought you a map. She's like, is it a map, though? Like, is it is it really a map? And they're like, yes, I've got a map. Trade, give me your valuables. I'll bring you a map. And she's like, okay, I'm giving you this. And, and in return, you're going to give me a map. Yeah. <laughs> and she gets this fucking story about this guy pushing a boulder up a hill. And she's like, what the fuck, man? What is she even supposed to do with that? What is she supposed to do with that story? Like, the pilot is old and young and has eyes of every color. Like, that literally just makes me think that the pilot is going to end up being some bullshit concept where it's everyone who faces up. Everyone who faces the society is a pilot. Like, and also, like, we're not even a little bit easing into the idea of a rebellion. No. Like, last book, it was all about we're starting to question the society, but really Cassia and Kai just want to be together. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's how we started. Now we're like, let's join a revolution and overthrow the government. To be fair, is- though, Cassie is still pissed. She's like, I don't really care as long as I get to be with Kai. Like, if we were in the middle of the society and Kai was not an aberration, I would be happy. Like, she doesn't care about any of the bad no, things that I think happen it's in the, the- society. I think it's the opposite. I think Kai is a little bit more like, I don't really care where we are, who we're with, as long as I'm with you. And I think Cassia is the one who's like, we need to change things. Because she's the only one who wants to find the the rebellion. She's the only no, one who wants to find- but like, the entire last book was just her simping for the capital. Like- Yes, you're right. You're correct. But in this book- not necessarily. Like, this book, she's just kind of like, I want to find my boyfriend. And she's mad that he's exiled. But, like, I feel like if the society came back and was like, we will reinstate Kai's privileges and you can be with him if you just shut up and do your job, I feel like she would do it in a second. I don't see her being like, but I want to be a rebel. Maybe by the end of the book, but at this point, she's just like, I want to yeah. find my boyfriend. You're giving me information about the rebellion and I really don't care. I'm just gonna read this because it's it's pretty reminiscent of like Tahara Mothi style writing. Okay. Um, we're in Cassia's perspective. If you love someone, if someone loved you, if they taught you to write and made it so that you could speak, how could you do nothing at all? You might as well take their words out of the dirt and try to snatch them from the wind. Because once you love, it is gone. You love and you cannot take it back. Kai is heavy on my mind, deep in my heart. His palms warm on my empty hands. I have to try to find him. Loving him gave me wings and all my work has given me the strength to move them. This is another moment that supports my robot theories. He and Vic are talking about how they're working and uh, Kai is kind of like humming a tune and he's like, I shouldn't be humming this tune. It's not one of the hundred songs. And then he says, the society took music away by choosing the hundred songs carefully. Complicated songs that only their engineered voices can navigate easily. (laughs) What? And then he just moves right along and I'm like, wait, what? Like, complicated songs that only the society's engineered voices are they robots did robot did artificial intelligence take over the world like and when you say the society i thought that the society referred to like the entire society but is that what we're calling the government like i'm gonna need some more info pal 
bud. I think I think the society is the government. I'm realizing that, like, just now this second, with this weird anecdote about music. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know what, I'm I'm on board with your robot theory. Like, I've, you. I've bought into it, we're there. Great. Like, even it has a rising soprano line that no untrained person could sing. Most people can only copy the flat drumming bass line or the easy notes of the alto and tenor parts. Like, let's just shit all over the altos again, but also, <laughs> I'm so confused. Um, anyway... Kai and Vic come up with their plan, right? So they're hoping that people will attack on the full moon and that it will be nighttime and that in the chaos they will be able to escape and not die. But Kai feels bad leaving everybody because he's like, obviously we can't all run to the same place or they'll just follow us and bomb us. So he knows that he is going to have to leave and he can probably only take one or two people with him and he's having some survivor's guilt. He is like, I want to make sure that the kids we're leaving behind have weapons. And he does something where he jams up the gun with... So I, it's not a gun. I don't know. He makes a weapon. <laughs> I don't really care how it happens. And basically, their weapons are grenades. So you can throw them at something and they will explode. Kai, Eli, and Vic decide we're going to run for these canyons that are nearby and then we'll have enough coverage that we will be free. And he gives them both one of these backed up gun grenade things to carry with them in case of emergency. They start running and Eli starts slowing down because he's younger than the rest of them and he just doesn't have enough energy. And Kai's like, drop the gun, I tell him. And when he doesn't, I reach over and knock it out of his hands. And I was like, sir, that is a child with a grenade. Like, show some care. He's like, if there's enough impact, this will explode. And then just like slaps it out of Eli's hands. Fuck this kid and fuck that grenade. Oh, they all survive, though. It's fine. Meanwhile, conveniently, uh, Cassia has actually arrived in the camp that he just escaped from. <laughs> so her and her new friend Indy have kind of... So Indy is an aberration. They basically gathered up all of the aberrations from the camp that Cassia was staying in. Cassia pretended to be an aberration by um, hiding her tablets and stuff so that they didn't know that she was part of the society. And they they make it to this camp. And this is the first time that girls are allowed into this camp. Cassia immediately is asking around, trying to figure out where Kai is, because she was pretty sure that that's the camp he was going to be in. Instead of being subtle, right, because the officers have just told them, like, we're going to be watching all of you real closely, don't know how, because there's no cameras that anyone knows of, but we're going to be watching you. Cassia just fucking gets up in the middle of everyone and (laughs) says, I am looking for someone. His name is Kai. And people start walking away, and she's, like, yelling after them. He has dark hair and blue eyes. He came from a city, but he knows this land, too. He has words. Queen of subtlety, Cassia. Like, he's not, like, you get murdered if you can write. And she's like, he has words, wink, wink. Girl, can you calm down for a second? (laughs) Also, I would like to point out that Savannah's uh, note on our sheet says, queen of (laughs) sub-titty. I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. So Cassia is watching everyone walk away, and she's like, well, fuck these people. And then she tells herself, don't sort, see. (laughs) Is sorting like being BBC Sherlock actually, though? Because I'm confused. She's like, noticing all of these details and recording these details, and then she's like, no, you're seeing. You have to sort. What does that even mean? 
let's go back even further. What the fuck is sorting and why is it so important in this society? Nobody knows. What really is the importance of sorting? Like, I, I get it to an extent, but like not to the extent that you actually need people to have the job of sorting. It's like a superpower. Like, the way it's described is it's like a superpower and you just know things and they come into your mind when you see details. It's very strange. She's not like other girls. She can sort things. (laughs) And then on page 88, she reinvents therapy because she finds, (laughs) she finds this boy and she's like, her sorting superpowers tell her that he knows something. She uh, gives him the last of her food. He's like, are you bribing me? Of course, I say. You're the only one who who was there. You're the only one who knows. I could just take it, he says. I could take anything I wanted from you, uncomfy. You could, I say, but it wouldn't be smart. Why not, he says. Because no one will, else will listen the way I will. No one else wants to know. But I do. I want to know what you saw. The others <sighs> don't want to hear about it, do they, I ask. And then he agrees. Cassie is literally like, I know you got some trauma. I know you got some trauma stored up in there. No one else wants to hear about it. Like, no one else wants to hear about your sad life, but I will. I'll listen if you give me what I want. We already kind of know what's going on in these camps because we already heard it from Kai, but Cassia and Indy are starting to, like, learn the ins and outs of what they've gotten themselves into. The boys are telling these girls about the attacks that come. And one of the things that they do is every day that they survive a day, they kind of, like, carve a little notch into their boot. The girls are asking, when do the, when does the enemy usually come? Like, when can we expect to be attacked? Mm-hmm. And the boy was like, you never know. You never know. We can't ever anticipate it. It's completely random. Sometimes it's every day. Sometimes, you know, we could go a while without being attacked. All of this shit. And then Cassia looks down at his boots and notices that he only has six notches on his boots, which means he's only been there for six days. So <laughs> we can't anticipate when they are going to come, except for the fact that they have been here every single day since I have been here. So I don't know. Maybe there's a pattern. <laughs> they come every night, but we don't know when, but it's going to be today. But no one knows for sure. But like tomorrow too, like every day they're going to come, but you won't know. You'll be surprised. Like every day. It'll surprise like you when all they of show the days. <laughs> Jumping back to Kai. I can't remember exactly how it happens, but basically they discovered that inside of the jackets that are given to them are these like discs. I bet this records things like our pulse rates, our hydration levels, and our moment of death, and anything else they've thought up that they want to know about while we're out in the villages. They're not using these to track us constantly, but they gather our data data before we die. Okay. I mean interesting, but okay. So how do you know that? But okay. <laughs> well, yeah, and then and then Vic and Kai and Eli are going through like this. They're they're debating on whether or not they want to cut them out of their jackets. So like Kai cuts his out immediately. He reaches for Eli's coat, but Eli says no. It's all right. I don't mind that they're monitoring me. And Kai is basically like, yeah, okay, like, I get it. The tiny disc is the closest any of us might come to immortality. It's not as good as the stored tissue samples that the ideal citizens get, a chance at living again someday when the society has the technology. Literally, how is that like immortality? (laughs) I love having my data stored. (laughs) 
furthermore he goes on to say like i don't think they'll ever figure out how to bring people back from the dead like they we know that they store our information and they store our tissue so that on the off chance they do have the technology they can bring us back like like that data lives on forever it's like the rising has done with the legend of the pilot so you just like keep passing it on this is the first time that we also figure out that kai's known about this fucking rebellion the entire time and has never once like mentioned it Mm -hmm. given any indication that he knew it was going on but also fair because like if i was dating cassia i wouldn't tell her shit either (laughs) you could fucking spell it in the mud though jesus christ (laughs) meanwhile Cassie is having a great time uh, out there with Indy, trying to survive. Uh, They have managed to escape. They're kind of walking through. They're realizing that they don't have any food. And Indy starts, uh, or Cassia just starts uh, gingerly pulling these leaves off of this specific plant. So Indy thinks, oh, can we eat those? Are they poisonous? Like, I'm not sure, I say. I don't think so, but I'll go first. (laughs) Indy's response, no, we'll both try a little and see what happens. Um, If it's poisonous, y'all gonna die together. That's what's gonna happen. Right. (laughs) Indy and Cassia, low chance of survival, not doing great. Uh, Indy has some weird, (laughs) weird shit going on. Like, Cassie will say things like, normal things, like, I've never lived near the water, not the ocean anyway. It calls, Indy says cryptically. (laughs) Indy's been snacking on some of the leaves (laughs) when no one was looking. Meanwhile, with with Kai, they arrive upon this, like, what seems to be an abandoned town in the middle of the carving, so in the middle of the Grand Canyon. And they see a light on in one of the houses, and instead of, like, going to investigate, instead of doing anything to approach this person or see what's going on, they just get the fuck out. And I understand that it's risky to approach someone random in the middle of the Grand Canyon, but at the same time, you are alone in the middle of the Grand Canyon. You have no sense of direction. You don't really know where you're going. You don't really have a plan. Why would you not, like, investigate what's going on there? Right, it's obviously not a society because you're not even supposed to be there in the first place. They even say, like, these are people who never lived inside of the society. They just have, like, for whatever reason, they abandoned this little township. Right. I don't know. It didn't make any no, sense No, and, like, who knew that those people were allowed to be there? Like, I thought no one was allowed to leave the society, so. They also start to talk more about the rising and the pilot and all of that good stuff. And Eli nonchalantly asks Kai... So was your father the pilot? And Kai says, if he was, he's dead now. And he took our whole village with him. And I'm like, wow, I really should have seen this development coming. I re- like, of course his fucking father was the pilot. I don't know if I still That's actually all. believe that, though, that his father was the pilot. Well, we get, like, four different explanations right. of his father. We start with, he, I'm not really sure he could have been, to he probably was, to he was next in line to be the pilot, to Kai is the pilot. Maybe I'm an idiot, but I had to go back and reread the description of what happens to their city and with his family multiple times. I still didn't totally understand what happened or the timeline there. So call back to my favorite scene from last book where Kai's being dragged oh, away yeah. by the police officers and Cassia just like in her panic, just like st- like T poses and then points at the sky. It's okay. Kai will understand that I'll always remember him, that I'll never forget our words, and, like, uh, like five million other things that I don't know how she <laughs> manages to communicate that. So I laughed at her. Even before they see each other again, 
was thinking back on this moment and he's like, she cried my name out in front of everyone. She didn't care who knew that she loved me. And then he thinks, he's like, I think about her pointing to the sky. I know that you meant you would always remember me, Cassia, but I'm afraid you might forget. How the fuck did you, how did you get that? Like, these two are on the same weird brain length or something. I don't know. That was the moment where I was like, sure, you two should be together. It's kind of hard to really get a grasp of the geography of, like, what's going on in the carving because you have this village that they are avoiding because there was there's a person in the village and then above that there's like these caves that you can go into where basically that township had like hidden all of their artifacts and history and stuff like that so kai and friends stumble across this little cave and they just conveniently happen to find this pamphlet where the title is The Rising, A Brief History of Our Rebellion Against the Society. <laughs> I was like, wow, how convenient. And then it kind of goes on to how the um, society first started. It originally started as the Cancer Eradication Initiative. So that is how our government started, which like, okay, <laughs> weird, weird, <laughs> weird thing to pick but that's fine and then it kind of starts talking about how they picked the 100 um saw like the 100 selection because if thing. you have more than 100 everyone gets cancer well and it, <laughs> those at the highest level of official voted to eliminate distractions such as excess poetry and music while retaining an optimal an optimal amount of to enhance culture and satiate the desire for experiencing art so like to eradicate cancer <laughs> they had to <laughs> Get rid of media? Somebody call the Mayo Clinic. Last book, it was genes. Let's look into genes to eradicate cancer. This this book, it's let's look into art and media. Now, another rumor that's been toted around by the society is that they've completely eradicated sickness. I mean, obviously, their entire initiative was to eradicate fucking cancer. Eli is telling this story about, he's just, like, talking about his home life, and he's like, yeah, my family's dead, Uh, my parents got really sick and died. Kai is like, how is that even possible? There are no, there's no sickness, there's no death, etc., etc. And I'm like, wow, so you mean to tell me that the society is not perfect and that there is no real way to eradicate sickness and illness? This is so unexpected. <laughs> Shocking. I did not see that coming. Follow-up question. Vic tells a really sad story uh to kai about how he basically fell in love with this anomaly and he wasn't an anomaly at the time but they met each other when they were fishing because they like shared a stream and he fell in love with her kai's like people fall in love it happens not anomalies and citizens vic says i draw in my breath she was an anomaly they celebrated their contract capital c it wasn't sanctioned by the society, he says, but when the time came, I chose not to be matched, and I asked her parents if I could contract with her. They said yes. The anomalies have their own ceremony. No one Nothing's recognizes Nothing's more romantic it than contracts. I didn't know that, I say. What are the rules of courting here? What are the... I do not understand. I am confused. There's no courting. There's no courting. And then they're like, Vic, you can be with her, but you have to be an anomaly. But then they took her away and she was gone. And now Vic is in the camps and I just don't know what's going on. Yeah, he's trying to find her. 
Mm-hmm. His whole goal is to find this girl that he was in mm-hmm. love with and is apparently yeah. married to. Yeah. No, he's contracted to her. Indy and Cassia are having a really hard time getting through the canyon. Cassia is dehydrated and hungry and she's not doing great. So she takes one of the blue pills. And when she's taking one, she offers one to Indy. She Indy doesn't know that she's already taken the pill. She offers one to Indy and Indy just kind of laughs at her and is like, no, I don't need that. And Cassia's like, okay, cool, whatever, <laughs> moves right along. Cassia's, like, hallucinating, and she's not doing well. Like, she, I mean, she's moving along, but India's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Cassie ends up, ends up telling her, I took one of those blue pills. And Indy's like, well, no wonder you've been sick. You really don't know, do you? Cassie says, no what? And she says, the blue tablets are poisoned. Bitch, you knew that Cassia had these blue tablets the entire time. This entire time that they've been together, Indy knew that she had them. And she never once even thought to mention, I know that you're a society girl. Did you know that those blue tablets are poison and they will kill you? She's like, haha, I thought you were making a suicide joke. My bad. Oh my god. And then let's just continue on with the dark themes because an enemy fire ends up coming over... Eli, Vic, and Kai, and Vic ends up getting murdered, and whatever fell with such impact, it looks like it had sent Vic flying. His neck was broken. He must have died instantly. I know I know, I should be glad for it, but I'm not. I look at those empty eyes that reflect back the blue of the sky because there's nothing left of Vic himself. I, I just want to know, like, when we took this big transition into dark, serious themes in this stupid fucking YA dystopian novel. You know what I mean? <laughs> So Cassia starts, like, reflecting on her grandpa telling her, after this whole blue pill incident, she starts reflecting on how her grandpa always told her not to take the pills and, like, try to resist them as long as you can. And then she's suddenly like, grandfather, were you once the pilot? And I was like, is everybody's fucking family the pilot? I told you. Are you the pilot, Cassia? <laughs> I told you, everyone is Literally the pilot. Literally everyone. If you, you can be a pilot if you Literally want to be everyone. This is my favorite. We finally get the dramatic reunion. And <laughs> Kai looks back. He's like, like, they're like moving on through the canyon. They're about to miss each other. But Kai stops and he looks back. I turn. And in the last of the evening light, I see her, Cassia. Even far away, I know it's her by the way her dark hair tangles with the wind and how she stands on the red rocks of the carving. She's more beautiful than snow. Is this real? <laughs> she points to the sky. She, she points to the sky. I'm crying. <laughs> and he's like, that's when I knew it was her when she pointed to the sky. <laughs> that finger point was all they needed. That was that was all it took. Uh, and Cass, from Cassie's point of view, she's like, is it Kai? I can't tell. This far away, there's only one way to know. I point to the sky. So then we're obviously to the point in their relationship where we have to have like an awkward, cut out, vague sex scene. But in Love this that. book, they're like in their canyons and they, Kai like pulls her out and he's like, listen, I know there's a lot going on right now. I know things are kind of wild, but, like, for one night, can we just think of each other, not the society or the rising or even our families? No, I say. <laughs> no, I don't think we can, I say. And no, it isn't too much to ask. And then the chapter ends. The chapter ends. <laughs> and then chapter 27 is from Kai's point of view, but it's a poem. And it's, I'm going to read it to you. I want you to hear this. Please do. I never named anything I've written before. No reason to. Since. It would there's like wild line breaks throughout this entire thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> so you know. Yeah, it would all have the same title anyway for you. 
but I would call this one, one night, that night, when we let the world be only you and only me, we stood on it while it spun, green and blue and red, the music ended, but we were still singing. <laughs> Is this a sex poem? Is that what? <laughs> yes. And I, like, want to be upset about this poem, but also he only has, like, 102 poems to reference, so it's, like, <laughs> That's it's a very, That's very small fair. frame of reference. <laughs> Once Kai and Eli unite with Indy and Cassia, they decide that they're going to go back to this village where they saw the light on in the window. They happen to see this man who is burying a small child, and they're just, like, sitting there watching this. And they wait until the man is done burying said child, and immediately they are like, we have some questions to ask you right now it just seemed so inappropriate my favorite part is when cassie is like maybe we should wait like he just had a funeral for a child and Andy's like he's alone vulnerable <laughs> like she's a little oh unhinged God. a little violent i'm here for it yeah indy has a lot of vibes and you're not ever really sure how to read them i don't like, know but i'm for here example, for him. so indy starts like approaching kai in a way that almost seems like flirtation mm -hmm. but it's not mm -hmm. it's like she's trying to pull information out of kai she's trying to kind of it feels like she's trying to blackmail mm -hmm. him and she tells kai you know that she still dreams about xander i've heard her call his name in her sleep so she's like stirring the pot mm -hmm. first of all kai is like what do you want and indy says i want to know xander's secret xander has a secret xander's the pilot <laughs> That somehow Indy knows Xander has a secret and Kai is keeping it close to his chest. But how does, I don't know how Indy knows that Kai knows this secret or that Xander even has one of the Xander and Kai place. were secretly lovers. The way that Indy is approaching this situation is so weird. And also, what are her motives? Like, why is Indy so invested in this weird secret that Xander is keeping? They go, this is kind of a weird scene that's included where they, um, there's this huge society center in the middle of the canyon <laughs> and like it's really really strange i don't understand why it's there i don't know if we ever come back to it because like it doesn't no it, we know that they're keeping we know that they're keeping these dna samples right and we know that they're hoping to bring people back to life one day there's no clear entrance and uh hunter the man that was burying his child that they've now joined up with and the rest of our traveling group of idiots uh decides that they need to break into this society center because hunter wants to the way that they get in is they they get to the top and they lift up a rock and there's a cavern but it's this really tight it leads to this really tight passageway and so hunter's like it's okay we can still get in just like move the earth and dig as you go and like hold your breath in the tight spots and they're all going in like no one's staying out to stay on watch or anything like that they're all just gonna like crawl through this tunnel and they have no idea where they're going spoiler alert the whole mission is a bust but we get two of my favorite quotes from it first is when hunter is telling her move the earth and hold your breath in the tight spots and cassia resident drama queen ends the chapter with hold our breath she seems to say, move the earth. We've been doing that all along. Second quote, they make it inside the chamber. For some reason, uh, everyone is really surprised that there's like DNA samples of everyone in there, even people who like weren't expecting to have DNA samples there. 
I thought that this was common knowledge that we like pretty much figured out already, but apparently not. So everyone has their moment of shock. And then like once they're inside, they're like, oh, yes, this definitely is a society place because there's steel. Like you knew that before coming in. Why are you all surprised? (laughs) And Hunter's like, they're not supposed to be here in the canyon. And (laughs) Cassia is like, yeah, well, the society wasn't supposed to be in my relationship with Kai either. Like, I think we've got some bigger problems to worry about, but okay. Like, the society is the reason that you met Kai in the first place. What are you talking about? Like, they were running their weird experiment. The samples that they're finding in this cavern includes Xander and Cassia and, like, her family. Like, Mm -hmm. it's people that they know, and it's people who haven't died yet. They Mm -hmm. thought that they just took tissue samples when you die, but clearly that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Cassie is going through, like, this whole chain of thinking as she's starting to realize, okay, so it's not just at death that they take our tissue samples. She's like, the sample at the end means nothing. The society already has tubes for everyone that they want to keep. Maybe younger tissue works better, and this way, if we don't know about the other samples, they can keep us compliant until the very end. My heart leaps within me, perversely, in gratitude to the society. What? I just want to understand why things are the way that they are. Why are they storing all of these tissue samples? Why are they taking young tissue samples? I just... It's just a little bit strange because I guess I kind of already inferred these things from the context clues and everyone is very, very surprised and upset and it was a strong reaction for something that they already knew they were doing at death. So like... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, why else are they monitoring your bodily functions in the jackets that they give right. you, you know? Like, th- this is not a shocking thing. Right. And, and it's not and one of the worst things they, they do. It. Like, everyone is much more upset about this than they were about, like, sending 14-year-olds out to be murdered as decoys. Right. <laughs> well, that's just, that's just a known thing. But we draw the lines at tissue samples. Yeah, I could excuse child murder, but I draw the line at tissue samples. <laughs> Hunter starts grabbing these tissue samples and just, like, starts snapping them and breaking them. And an alarm goes off, and the society is coming, and Hunter and Kai start going around and just breaking some of these tissue samples, and I'm just... I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this, because I I get it. Like, they're storing your information without your your permission like we're living in this surveillance state that is just monitoring everything that you do but on the other hand 95 percent of the people who have their tissue samples stored in there wholeheartedly believe in the society and want their tissue samples stored so i'm like yes the society is bad but Mm -hmm. also i feel like this is kind of just like stomping on other people's autonomy and like personal privacy like I know that this is a weird rant to make, but I just have a lot of thoughts and feelings about just going around and snapping people's tissue samples. It's true, because we take it it to a weird place um, where Cassia is thinking about these tubes and what would happen if they actually were able to bring someone back to life. And she's like, it would never be us, not again. Even if they pulled our bodies from the water and the earth and made us work and walk again, it would never be like the first time. Something would be missing. The society cannot do this for us. We cannot do this for ourselves. There is something special, irreplaceable about the first time living. And I just thought, well, that is not a very nuanced thought. 
Cassia. Like, right. <laughs> if I had the option, if they were like, when you die, we will bring you back a second time, but like in a different body and you experience life again, like, hell yeah, sign me up for that. That sounds real fun. I can't with their relationship. Kai and Cassia have like zero chemistry, no, zero things in common. It just, for example, Cassia says, Kai, I want to hear the rest of your story. All of it, he asks, his voice serious. Anything you want to tell me, I say. He looks at me. I lift his hands to my lips and I kiss his knuckles, the scraped place of his palm. He closes his eyes. My mother painted with water, he says, and my father played with fire. <laughs> God damn it, Kai. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> it's the mystery of it for me. It's the completely incomprehensible answers to simple questions for me. Cassie is just as bad, though. Cassie is just as bad. Like, they find this actual map. Finally, finally, they've got a map of something. Who knows what it is or where it's going? Nobody. But the words on the map are encoded, so they don't know how to read it. And Indy brings it over to Cassia, and she's like, I think this is the ocean, and I think these words are marking an island, but I'm not totally sure what's going on here. And Kai's like, why don't you give it to Cassia? She's a sorter. I wanted to give it to you, Indy says, because of who you are, because she still thinks he's the pilot. He might be. No one knows. Least of all, Kai. What do you mean? Cassia asks. She shakes her head impatiently. I know you can break the code. I know you can sort. Indy's right. I can sort. And I've already figured out what the words say. <laughs> what is sorting? What even is it? She's well, like... I can, yeah. I can tell what jobs people should have, and I can know things about people. I can sometimes read their minds. I can read all the languages because I can sort all of the symbols. What is sorting? I'm so confused. Well, you know what? To be fair, to be fair, she was able to look at the cartography on the back of her hands and be able to see the map that would lead her to Kai. So... With that being said, it is not that much of a stretch if she is able to decipher this map that she's never seen before. <laughs> like, given what she's done already, it's not a stretch, but I'm confused. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. It's like, I'll get on board, but just give me a detailed explanation of what the fuck sorting is. Yeah, give me some boundaries. I want some boundaries. Or just admit that it's a supernatural ability. Stop pretending like this is Or normal. maybe it's... Admit that Cassie is a robot. Maybe the answer is Cassie's abilities are very similar to Juliet Farrar's in that there are no boundaries. Here's my new theory, right? Because the society has genetically modified voices so that only they can sing the song. So the society is entirely made up of robots. Yes. One of Cassie's parents fucked a robot. <laughs> <laughs> One of them. We're not sure. <laughs> Her mother fucked a robot. We couldn't say. It can't be said. It's too early at this point. Um, She's just writing that mechanical dick. way more dick. interesting than her, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> she is half robot and half human, and that is what sorting 
results from. That's why she has all these superpowers. That's my new theory. Savannah remembers these books way better than I do. So I'm going to go ahead and say that this is canon. This actually <laughs> happened. <laughs> I just want to clarify. I remember, like, fr- I remembered this book being a bit boring. And I remembered kind of the scene at the very end. But we've reached the extent of everything I remember. I honestly don't know if I ever finished the third book. So... We go back to another really weird conversation between Indy and Kai, and Indy and Kai are having this conversation about how the red pills don't work on either of them. And if you'll remember, the same thing happened with Xander. The red pills don't work on Xander. Indy has this theory that the Rising has handpicked a couple of people to basically, like, make immune from the red pills so that they never forget anything. So then they, like, have, like, this discussion of, well, do do you think that Cassie is also a part of the rebellion? Do the red pills work on her? And something that we didn't mention beforehand is Cassie took a red pill after finding out that Kai had, um, he was basically, he's basically this entire book been trying to manipulate her into not wanting to find the rising so he's trying to like from the back end make it really difficult for her to go on that path Mm -hmm. anyways cassia took a red pill we don't actually ever find out in this book if it worked on her but she takes this red pill to forget all of the bad things that kai has done to her it's a a touch toxic i didn't think that she she took it oh wow because the whole thing, the whole thing in that scene is she is also curious to see if she will remember. Yeah, and yeah, she's yeah, yeah. like, she's like, either way, I'll either forget that we had this fight in this argument or I'll find out that the red pills don't work on me. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That explains some things. But like this whole premise that the Rising has somehow hand-selected individuals at birth for being- to be, like, a part of this rebellion is just so ridiculous to me, and also, I guess- I guess to me it would make a little bit more sense if they're actually a part of the society, but both Indy and Kai were not really a part of the society. It is super ironic, because we find out that Xander's secret- is actually way more obvious than we thought it would be. And it's that he's part of the rising. So he's, he's part of the rebellion. Indy is, uh, Indy reveals this by telling Kai, I know the reason that you don't want Cassia to go to the rebellion is because Xander's a part of the rebellion. So if she goes there and finds out that he's part of the rebellion, that's like one of the only reasons that she's interested in you. And you know that she would leave you for Xander. How pissed would you be If you were Xander, right, you get matched with this girl that you've known growing up since childhood. You're part of the rebellion. She starts realizing, like, oh, there's, like, little cracks in this society. Finds this guy who's, like, kind of openly rebellious. Falls for him mainly for that reason, that he is part of the rebellion. And you're Xander. You can't say anything. You can't break your cover yet, but you're like, it's okay. She has this little infatuation, but someday we're going to be married. We're going to be in the center of the capital, and I can tell her we can be part of the rebellion together, and we can take things down from the inside. And Cassie is like, I can never be part of the rebellion if I'm here. I'm going to the outer provinces. And he's like, just imagine that you're Xander, and you're your matched girlfriend who you were about to tell you were part of the rebellion so that you could go be a part of the rebellion together in the middle of the capital, like, leaves you for this guy... With as bootlicking as Cassia was in the first book, she never would have jumped on board with the idea of a rebellion unless she had met Kai. If they had just been matched and got married and then Xander was like, hey, by the way, I'm a part of this rebellion, like, she, she would have not have been him. okay with this. No, she would yes, have turned him she in would have. 
<laughs> she would have. So, like, in order for him to be able to tell her she had to meet Kai, but now that she's met Kai, she's, like, off on this little adventure, and Xander's like, can you just come home so that we can fucking do something useful, please? <laughs> like, could you please, could you please leave your coward boyfriend who's lying to you so that you won't leave with another man? So, they have all of this information on uh, the society, the rising, they're like, it could be dangerous if we leave this here. The society could find it, so we're gonna blow it up. So, they split up. Kai and Eli go to get the wires so that they can somehow create explosives out of them and blow up the cave. And meanwhile, Cassie you know. and Indy, right? <laughs> you know, when the wires <laughs> in your coat become, like, explosive. <laughs> meanwhile, Cassie and Indy are like, okay, we're going to go see if we can figure out, like, how to make a boat so that we can cross this river and get to the rising. Okay, Cassie says, I think we're ready. Uh, wait, Indy says. And Cassie is like, I don't really know what to say to her at this point. Like, we helped each other survive in the canyons, but she seems to be uh, hiding things from me and talking with them, talking about them with Kai behind my back. What else has she been hiding? Are we friends? What are we? I have to give you something. Indy reaches into her pack and takes out the delicate wasp nest. Even after everything, it's still miraculously intact. She holds it carefully in her hands. And an image comes to my mind of her lifting a shell from the edge of the ocean. No, I say touched. You should keep it. You are the one who brought it all this way. That's not what I mean, Andy says, impatient. She reaches into the wasp nest and pulls something out, and it's a microcard. <laughs> I, I just laugh because Andy pulls out this wasp's nest that she's been carrying the secret in, and Cassie's like, oh, thank you for this wasp's nest. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy's like, that's not what I meant, you idiot. <laughs> like, Cassie is just trying to be polite, like, Cassie's, like, super touched. She's like, she picked up this delicate piece of nature and carried it all this way. Like, the dumbass vibes. But then it turns out that it's actually Xander's microcard, and and, and he's been, like, looking at it, and I guess she's, like, in love with Xander now, because she, like, looked at it and knows his favorite color is blue. And she's like, wow, what an attractive color. I don't know. (laughs) It's weird. I feel weird about it. Moving on. I think, so, like, one of the things that irritates me about this book and this series is we just get a lot of, we get a lot of unexplained tidbits. So it's just, like, throwing information in. We're supposed to just, like, take it and roll with it as if we already knew this information, such as, in Kai's perspective, he says, my father might have been the reason all of those people died, but he also helped make their lives bearable. He gave them hope. I used to think that didn't matter, but it does. What do you mean he was the reason that all of these people died? Like, what do you mean your dad was the reason that your village was, like, fired upon? I, I, they finally reach the rebellion, and Cassia and Indy end up going first, and Kai follows afterwards. Eli and Hunter split off and go together. Cassia and Indy reach the rebellion. They're like, great, we figured out assignments for you. Cassia, you're best suited to go back into the society and serve us there. And I'm just like, how the fuck is she going to casually just rejoin society? Like, hey, bitches, I'm back. I know I've been gone for like three months and you don't know where I've been, but I'm here now. They're like, if you would have just fucking stay put, Cassia. That's about it. Kai also joins the rebellion because that's mm-hmm. what Cassia wants, even though this entire time he's been trying to sabotage her goal of reaching 
the rising i don't know the rebellion's this weird sketchy organization where nobody really knows who the true leader is or who's giving out assignments kai becomes an actual pilot which is like ironic and also terrible at the same time okay final thoughts I have a lot of predictions and I'm going to be really upset in the next book if Cassie is not a robot and Indy's not a lesbian. Um, (laughs) You know what? I can already tell you that you are going to be very disappointed and I don't even really remember what happens in the next book. Um, So, but yeah, that's my other thought is that I, there's been a decent amount set up in this book. I had more fun reading it for the podcast than I did reading it for fun and I am excited to remember slash experience for the first time what happens in the next book because I actually don't know if I read it. That's the one I remember the least about, so. My final thought is I don't really have a lot of positive things to say about this book other than it was a really easy read. It takes zero energy to get through it, though it makes no sense. Uh, My predictions for the final installment is that none of our questions will be answered and she will end up with Kai. Even though I would argue she's way better suited for Xander and they, her and Xander, like, while they're boring, they definitely have more chemistry than her and Kai do. And Kai's been lying to her this entire time and making shit up. Like, yeah. Anyways. No, I mean, like, growing up, I feel like uh, you see this trope over and over again where you have, like, the girl and she has her best friend and then, like, the bad guy comes or the, the, like, resident bad boy comes in and she, like, falls. And I feel like when I was younger, I was always rooting for the newcomer because I felt like they had better chemistry for some reason. But reading this, I'm like, she and Kai have no chemistry whatsoever and I'm just really prone to the best friend trope. Like, the only the only time that I would was not shipping her with the best friend was Hunger Games, and that wasn't even really a shipping book anyway. But like, well, yeah, Jira is superior, obviously. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, so uh, question of the week: If your government came out and said we have this chance at bringing you back to life if we just take a tissue sample for, for from you, would you give a tissue sample, and would you want to be brought back to life? Okay, so I haven't been reading because depression but i have been watching a shit ton of tv and i've only seen bits and pieces of this um but ozarks on netflix holy shit what i have seen of it 10 out of 10 it has jason bateman laura linney like the cast is phenomenal the story and the writing is phenomenal it's about drug cartels and money laundering and it just Mm. is so fucking good it is so good i did not think i was going to like it as much as i did because i don't normally like shows like that like i usually want something that's a little bit more like lighthearted and warm and fuzzy or more about relationships than it is about like something else i don't know i'm just a big fan of jason bateman i've heard about (laughs) it i know nothing about the show but i've heard good things I also have not been (laughs) reading any books because uh, school and two jobs are killing me dead. But I have been listening to podcasts uh, while I drive and pretend that I'm sleeping at night. And so (laughs) um, I've been listening to this one for a while. It took me a while to get into it, but um, it's called The Magnus Archives. 
And if you're into fiction podcasts at all, you've probably heard about it already. If you're not, um, it's actually gotten a lot of people into podcasts. So I'm going to read their summary on their website and then just tell you a short blurb. But the Magnus Archives is a weekly horror fiction anthology podcast examining what lurks in the archives of the Magnus Institute, an organization dedicated to researching the esoteric and the weird. Join new head archivist Jonathan Sims as he attempts to bring a seemingly neglected collection of supernatural statements up to date, converting them to audio and supplementing them with follow-up work from his small but dedicated team. Uh, individually they are unsettling together they begin to form a picture that is truly horrifying because as they look into the depths of the archive something starts to look back and I just want to say I have probably never in my life been as impressed with long-term world building and than I have in this one Um, it really explores like the origins of fear there's some cosmic horror going on I prefer more coherent storylines with recurring characters, so it was kind of hard for me to get into this one at first because at least for the beginning of the first season, it's a lot of individual statements, and then at the beginning and end of the episode, you learn more about the recurring characters and Jonathan and his friends and the other people working in the archives. But as it goes on, you get more of this a coherent storyline, but the individual nature of the episode stays the same. So if you also just want something for casual listening, like you could pretty much start anywhere you want to, but I would 10 out of 10 recommend. It's, I don't like horror and I don't find many of the episodes super creepy. There are a few that really, I was like, don't like that. But most of them are just more, I would say, uh, creative and a little bit unsettling. So Um, I actually got a tattoo inspired from the podcast recently, so maybe if enough people respond to this, I will show you all someday. But yes, that's my little (laughs) bitch. Also, oh, oh, sorry, representation, representation. Like all of the other podcasts, everyone is gay, and the main character uh, is canonically confirmed biromantic and asexual, which is very rare and also very cool. So we love to see it. Yes. I'll have to give it a shot. I just haven't been listening to podcasts, like, at all. (laughs) Yeah, I want to... I'll start it at some point. It'll be one of those things that I say I'm going to start, and then it's going to take me, like, two years to get to it, and then I'm going to get to it, and I'm Mm going to catch up, and I'm going to fall in love with it, and maybe I'll get a matching tattoo with you. (laughs) Great. I'll be obsessed with this podcast for the rest of my life, so that's fine. Um, Cool, cool, cool. So next week, remember, we are reading Stalking Jack the Ripper... That is a listener recommendation. We didn't mention that at the beginning of the episode, but that was recommended to us by you guys. So I'm very excited. I've heard some pretty terrible things about this series, so I am excited to see where it goes. Follow us on social media. Yep. Worst thing we read at gmail.com is our email. Worst thing we read is our Instagram. Worst THNG we read on Twitter. Follow us on Goodreads. Go leave us a five-star review on Apple. We got another one-star review, and again, like a coward, they didn't say anything. So it's kind of like, it's fine, leave us a one-star review, but like, tell us your thought. you know what I mean? Like, critique us, man. I want you to tell me why you hate me. Like, will it Give change me anything I'm gritty. doing? Probably not, but I really, I really thrive off of hatred. <laughs> I will continue to be the way that I am, but I want to know why you hate the way I am, you yes, know? Yes, yes, that cool yeah yeah it's it's 2 p.m so i'm gonna go eat food uh but it's been lovely having you all here to our our lovely lovely podcast and with that we will see you all next week not with our eyes but with but our mouths, with our mouths.
是。